Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. And while you're turning there, I've got to tell you that it is truly an honor for me to be able to speak to you, my family, uh, from the pulpit here. My name is Neil Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been a part of this fellowship for 13 years now, been on full-time staff for over 10 years, and been on the pastoral staff for seven years. So uh, there's perhaps a few of you that don't know who I am, but now you do, and Again, what a privilege it is to share from God's Word with you all. Well, do we have any... uh, All right, my my paid uh, fan club is here. Thank you. Do we have any Paul Harvey fans here? Any Paul Harvey fans? Some of you are thinking, who's Paul Harvey? Well, he's a great radio columnist, personality. He's got some real great insight. And I'm going to start off with a... Note that comes from Paul Harvey's radio program. Paul Harvey says, from our For Whatever It's Worth department, we hear that Speedy Morris, the basketball coach for LaSalle University, was one morning shaving in front of the mirror when his wife called out to tell them that he was wanted on the phone by Sports Illustrated. And Speedy Morris was so excited by the prospect of national recognition that as he was shaving and heard his wife call out, he nicked his face and he ran with a mixture of lather and blood on his face, proceeded then by falling down the stairs from the second floor to the first floor in such great excitement, finally came to a rolling stop, jumped up, gathered his composure, made it to the phone, took a deep breath, cleared his throat, gathered his wits about him, and he said, Yes, hello, this is Coach Morris. And the voice on the other side said, For just 75 cents an issue, you can get a one-year trial subscription to Sports Illustrated. Are you interested? Now, it's fair to say that at that point, Coach Morris was disappointed. That's what we're going to look at tonight, is the subject of disappointment. What a universal and timeless experience of all mankind. You know, it's often said that disappointment is the exact opposite of satisfaction. And interestingly enough, even inside the church, disappointment is often viewed as contrary to God's will. We're going to consider tonight that that may not be the case. So to start us off, I want to ask you some questions. How do you view disappointment when it comes into your life? How do you respond to disappointment? Or might look at yourself as a Christian and say, as one who trusts in Jesus Christ, and we also trust equally in His loving sovereignty in our lives, how should we respond to disappointment? And more specifically, tonight we're going to answer the question, how should we respond when people disappoint us? People. 
people as distinct from circumstance or health, how do we respond when people disappoint us? You know, I was very surprised to find in my beginning years of serving you as missions pastor, and unfortunately I'm not surprised anymore, but I was surprised to find out that the number one reason why missionaries come off of their service in the field prematurely is because of interpersonal conflicts with those that they minister alongside with, other Christians. Surprising to me to think that, but again, in my experience being around missions and certain missions efforts, I can see how easily that can take place because of disappointments with one another. Now, the title of the message that I bring to you tonight is Divine Appointments with Disappointment, Lessons from the Life of Joseph. And the main thing that I want to propose to you tonight is that many of the most important appointments that God has scheduled for you in your life are disappointments. Events in your life where you're going to experience disappointment. From a human perspective, from an earthly perspective, these are things that we can look at perhaps no other way other than disappointing. And unfortunately, most of those disappointments will involve people. But the good news is that by His sovereignty, He's designed even those things that are disappointments that enter into our lives to result in His perfect will for the lives of His children. Now, I don't want to be alone here this evening, but anybody here ever been disappointed with someone they know? Let me just see a show of hands. All of us at some point, haven't we? And so to start us off, let's look first of all at the nature of disappointment. And again, we're looking at lessons from Joseph's life. And when considering the nature of disappointment, usually it begins with expectation. And Joseph had expectations, expectations that were legitimate. In fact, they were a direct result of some dreams he had received from the Lord. Now, understand that at this time, Joseph and his brothers and his parents, they didn't have the Bible as we have the Bible today. So one of the primary ways that God spoke to his people was through dreams. And so let's begin reading here in chapter 37, verse 1, which tells us about those dreams. And I want you also to consider just how Joseph's behaving. It says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, and in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, at this point being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad, Joseph, was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told this dream to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Hey, please hear this dream which I've dreamed. And there we were, binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose, and it stood very upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down 
to my sheep. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. In other words, not only that he had these dreams, that these dreams were given to him by God, but that he was so boastful to then share those dreams with them. Verse 9 continues, Then Joseph dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Hey, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, Wait a minute, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I, the moon and the sun, shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. There was something about what his father knew, or perhaps even at this point had an intonation about, that he kept this in mind, thinking that there was substance to it. So there Joseph was, 17 years old. I can just see so many of his family members saying, Wow, Joseph, you're so young. You've received these dreams. You've got the world in the palm of your hands. You just need to play your cards right. And at this point, things were very good for Joseph. But you've got to remember that our subject tonight is disappointment. And in considering the nature of disappointment, the next thing we point out is that disappointment arises from not having ultimate control or ultimate choice over what does or does not happen in our lives. Now, on the contrary, if there's a situation that we have the power to correct or clarify or even a dream that we have the ability to fulfill, then disappointment has been all but eliminated. But such wasn't the case for Joseph. And again, looking at his life, I want to give you now an overview of what his disappointments were. So as I say, such was not the case for Joseph. What I mean by that is this. There's no record that Joseph had any choice or control over being the youngest of all his brothers. Joseph had no choice or control over the fact that his father Jacob loved him more than his other sons simply because Joseph was the son of his old age. He had no choice or control over being the recipient of the dreams which God had given him, which made his brothers even angrier toward him. And furthermore, beyond the passage that we read, Genesis goes on to tell us even more about his life. We find there that Joseph had no choice or control over the fact that almost all, with the exception of Reuben, almost all of his older brothers hated him to the point of wanting him dead. Reuben was the exception because he, being the oldest brother of them all, had a responsibility to his younger brothers and more so to his youngest brother. But the rest wanted him dead goes on to tell us that Joseph had no choice or control over being sold by his brothers into slavery to a band of Midianites who then took him to Egypt. And then they sold him to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. He had no choice or control over being promoted to overseer of Potiphar's house. And some people might say, wow, a promotion. That was a great blessing. That wasn't a disappointment. Well, yes and no, because then it led to the next one, which was that Joseph had no choice or control over Potiphar's wife's attraction to him, which led her to then falsely accuse him because he would not sleep with her. She falsely accused him of attempted rape, and then he was placed into prison 
unjustly. And finally, Joseph had no choice or control over the butler that he had known in prison. Forgetting how Joseph had been used of God to spare this butler's life by interpreting this dream that the butler had, which the Pharaoh looked kindly upon. And that butler had made a promise to Joseph saying, hey, when I'm out, I'm not going to forget you. But he did. He forgot him. Joseph had no choice in the matter. And he was left in prison. So we look at this overview of Joseph's life. And we consider what the result of all this was. The result was varying degrees of letdown. It seemed like every corner he turned, there was something waiting for him that would be another disappointment. It also resulted in very real emotions. We know this about the nature of disappointment. Proverbs 13:12 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's a heart sickness to being disappointed. And note again at this point that every one of Joseph's letdowns that we just covered involved people. So we go back to his dreams, how those dreams generated expectation. And I can only imagine that shortly after those dreams, there were questions in Joseph's mind which were causing him to ask, okay, this is great, but right now I'm the youngest. And how are we going to get from point A to point B where I'm actually the one who's in charge. But as we see everything unraveling, I'm sure those questions turned into other questions that Joseph had, which was, wow, I really thought things were going to happen in a different way. I thought they would turn out different from what they're turning out. This might even result, if this was our own experience, in the response that says, hey, listen, wait a minute, God. I didn't sign up for this. Had I known, I wouldn't have signed up. Disappointments like this can result in bitterness, hardness of heart, a callous upon our heart, or even becoming unforgiving. Let me give you this description of disappointment. You can describe disappointment as when expected results or outcomes are completely out of your control, either how they were generated or how they can be fixed, And those expectations go unrealized. The result is then a feeling of dissatisfaction. That's how you can look at disappointment. Now more specifically for us as Christians, consider this. Disappointment for us as Christians occurs in our lives when God's perfect or permissive will intersects with our own personal hopes and expectations. God's perfect will, that which He has perfectly authored to occur in our lives. God's permissive will, that which He did not author, but He allowed, He permitted into our life. Either way, as with Joseph, He allowed all that happened to happen. For most people, all that would be left would be disappointment. But just as for Joseph, we as Christians, we have an option when we face such disappointments. And let me tell you what that option is. It's the best option that's out there. It's the option that we can trust God. And so moving from a look at the nature of disappointment, let's now look at what trusting God in disappointment looks like. 
what trusting God and disappointment looks like. And again, we're looking to Joseph as an example. Now, the most descriptive window that we're given into Joseph's emotions come to us in Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. Would you please turn there? And in Genesis 42, we find that the brothers are standing before Joseph and they're trying to figure out how their life became so tumultuous, so messed up. And as they're talking among themselves, the passage in verse 21 of chapter 42 records, Then they, his brothers, said to one another, Oh, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. Now, when did that happen? Perhaps it happened as they were lowering him down into the pit where they were just going to leave him. Or perhaps it happened as after they lowered him down into the pit, they saw the Midianites coming down the road and one of the brothers wised up and said, hey, let's not just leave him here to die. Let's sell him. Let's make some money off him. Boy, I can imagine as he even heard their dialogue, he felt so used, so cheap, that even just for what amounts to about $2,500 in our economy is what his brothers were going to sell him for, and in fact did sell him for. So perhaps it was either being lowered into the pit or as he was being sold by his brothers cheaply to these travelers. The brothers recall that they saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. And they go on to say, we wouldn't hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Now, I picture Joseph at this point as a man who is barely able to stand. As I think of Joseph in this circumstance, I also think of some of the other people throughout the history of the scriptures. I think of people like David, who had Saul after his life. I think of Elijah, who at varying times had whole groups of people who wanted his destruction. But perhaps even more specifically, I think back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the anguish of soul he experienced as he was about to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. Which brings us to a very, very, very important point. And that point is this. Trusting God, especially in the midst of disappointment as Joseph had, trusting God does not equal not having anguish of soul. Or to put it another way, you can still trust God and trust God powerfully and still be one who's experiencing anguish of soul. It's hard. Maybe at times you feel that you're barely able to stand. But let's notice also something else. At no point in this entire progression of David or Joseph's life do we see that Joseph was in any way characterized as a complainer. It's just not there. It's not recorded. It's not what characterized him. Rather, you notice that he's characterized as having a quiet mature and confident strength that the Lord was always in control. Even when people were disappointing him, the Lord was still in control. I appreciate a story that was shared by Chuck Swindoll 
And the story serves to show to us the importance of knowing the big picture or the ability to see the full picture. And his story is that of a friend of his who was a pilot for the police helicopter in his area. And this pilot tells Swindoll that he had a once-in-a-lifetime experience. He said, it's never happened to me before. I don't know that it'll ever happen to me again. But as I was hovering at just the right spot in the sky in the helicopter, I saw for the first time ever a full rainbow. He says, what we see from earth is only half of a rainbow. But I was able to see the full rainbow, the whole circle. And not only that, as I stayed right in close proximity to the rainbow, I could go in and out of it and I could even hover around it. It was the most incredible experience I ever had. We have to trust God that because of our perspective here on earth, we can only see half the picture most of the time. We've got to trust that God can see the full picture, the big picture of our lives, and even see how this disappointment is going to serve His purposes for our life when we consider the big picture of our lives. Now, I want you to do something Right at this moment, right where you're seated, I'm going to ask you to think of a disappointing relationship that you have with someone right now. Just take a moment. Think about a disappointing relationship that you have with someone right now. You know, as you think of this relationship, you might also be thinking, when I think of this relationship, I just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Especially if it's with the believer, how can we be at odds like this? How can we not make a connection? You might even think to yourself, I know we have differing expectations or differing values, but there's something greater where we should be able to get along. As you think of this person, you might even be thinking of someone who wants you fired from your job. Or someone that wants you to leave them alone completely and never have anything to do with them again. Or, there might even be someone in your life, just like Joseph, who wants you dead. Or at least, wishes you were dead. That's heavy stuff. It's painful stuff. Anguish of soul. But even though this was Joseph's condition, I want us to consider what his focus was. And to do that, we're going to look at three portraits of Joseph's life, which were key to showing us what his focus was during this time. As you stay in Genesis, turn to chapter 39 and go to verse 2. Genesis 39, verse 2. says here, The Lord was with Joseph. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, it was just perhaps a little bit more apparent that God didn't fool around too much. Uh, He was patient with his people, but there was always a point at which either with the entire nation or with individuals, he would no longer be with that person in the unique sense of providing for them or blessing them or providing a covering for them. But in the midst of all this, we have the record here that the Lord, verse 2, was with Joseph. And it goes on to say, and Joseph was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. Turn with me also just a little bit more ahead in that chapter to the latter part of verse 20. 
Genesis 39, verse 20. The latter part of that verse says, And there Joseph was in prison. Verse 21. But the Lord again was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Again, a promotion. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it prosper. Well, imagine this. This guy's such a model inmate that this overseer says, hey, you take care of all this. I'm not even going to worry about it because I know the Lord's with you. And perhaps the equally important truth to that kind of trust and that kind of relationship that Joseph had with the Lord is not only was the Lord with Joseph, but Joseph's heart was with the Lord. And in order to see that, let's backtrack just a few verses back to verse 6 of chapter 39. Verse 6 of chapter 39. The passage goes on to say, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, and I wonder if what we have recorded here is the first desperate housewife (laughs) in history, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Well, I'll tell you what, if you've had all those disappointing experiences like Joseph, and at that point you're just a little weary and you're thinking nobody else is around, And if she's the wife of this master, she's probably a a good-looking lady. Verse 8, But this man, this man of God, refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in this house, and he's committed all that he has to my hand. In other words, this master, your husband, trusts me so much, he doesn't even keep an inventory of what's in the house. He just knows it's all going to be taken care of and it's not going to walk out the back door. Verse 9, There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sin against God. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. You know, it's one thing to resist temptation at a moment. It's a whole other thing to resist this type of temptation day by day by day. And I'm sure she wasn't subtle. And I'm sure she picked out the cutest thing to wear every day as she tried to glide right by him. Day by day she did this. But he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Verse 11, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And we know what happened after that. She accused him of trying to rape her. We know that wasn't the truth. So what's the point here? As we look at these key portraits into his life, his character, his nature in trusting God, even in the midst of being hammered with disappointment. We see that Joseph approached each day business as usual. 
business as usual when it came with the, to his relationship with God. Business as usual in continually honoring God. Let me appeal to you on something. And that's that if your life does not seek to honor God, you are on your own. At any given moment, you're on your own. If you're not seeking and succeeding in honoring God with your life. But Joseph, business as usual, day by day, honoring God. And this is what I think is perhaps most important to glean from his example. And that's that Joseph chose to not worry about that which he had no control over. Did you catch that? If you're a note taker, write it down. Joseph chose to not worry or be preoccupied with that which he had no control over. Again, that didn't mean he wasn't at various times experiencing, as we read, the anguish of soul or that he was just broken up on the inside. But he didn't become preoccupied with those things which were out of his control. We get a picture here of a man who's just trusting God at every turn. He didn't have any expectations about how God was going to glorify himself through his life. He just knew that no matter what happened, God was going to glorify himself through his life. His responsibility was to continue to trust God and to honor God and not worry about the rest. What a lesson to take with us. Because I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, my tendency, my bent is to want to worry about things I have no control over. And there's something about that when it pertains to relationships that are disappointing with people, people that have hurt us, people that have something against us that we have no reason to believe why they would have it against us and we've pursued reconciliation and they just don't want it. There's something about a unique bitterness that occurs, it grows within the heart of someone who's not going to let it go and just trust God with it. And I'll tell you, that unique bitterness can keep you so apart from what God truly has for your life. I see in Joseph a man who truly chose to bloom where he was planted. He bloomed where he was planted. Whether it was a prison, whether it was as a slave, whether it was in times of temptation, he bloomed where he was planted, whether it was a beautiful English garden that was perfectly manicured like we so often want our lives to be, or even if it was a pile of manure, he bloomed. Who here knows of William Carey? Raise your hand. For those of you who don't know, William Carey is believed to be the father of modern-day missions. An incredible man whose ministry to India provides the template for so many of the missions agencies and missions efforts that exist in our day and age. But before he went to India on his first attempt, he was denied passage aboard the ship that was to take him there. So there he was with his bags and with his life, not on the ship as he saw the ship drive away, float away. And he said these words, All I can say in this affair is that however mysterious the leadings of providence are, I have no doubt that they are superintended by an infinitely wise God. Let me take it from Old English and put it into our English. All I can say about what just happened here, because I know God wants me to go to India, is that this happened for a reason 
And the, what, the, the reason I can trust that is because I trust in an infinitely wise God. That's how Joseph operated his life. He also operated his life as a believer of the truth of Romans 8.28. We know the passage, don't we? God will allow all things. We know that God will work all things, even disappointment, together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, Here's where we take it home. There's no reason that this shouldn't be true of ourselves as well. No reason. No reason for us not to honor God. And no reason for us not to choose to not worry about those things we have no control over. That's what trusting God in the midst of disappointment looks like. Which brings us to our final consideration. And that is when disappointment results in God's will. When disappointment results in God's will. And for that, we want to turn to Genesis chapter 50 for what could be considered Joseph's defining moment. For when we think of Joseph, we think of this incredible exhibition of compassion and maturity and wisdom and trust. For in Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15, we read, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to themselves, Oh, perhaps Joseph is going to hate us. Perhaps this whole business of him forgiving us was just a show until our dad died, our dad who loved him greatly, our dad whom he loved greatly. And now that dad is Gone to be with the Lord, the real man's going to come out. He says, perhaps Joseph, they say, will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which he did, or which we rather did to him. Verse 16. So the brothers sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded us, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil against you. And now please forgive the trespass of the servants of God, the God of your father. Now, interesting insight there. It shows two things. It shows, first of all, that Jacob wasn't too sure in his own son's character. Because if he knew that while he was alive that Joseph had forgiven the brothers, he wouldn't have had to say, okay, once I'm gone, just can you make sure that you tell Joseph to not lay a hand on you? It also shows that the brothers themselves did not trust in the character of Joseph because they remembered what their father had said and they brought it to his attention. It's a wicked thing that sin does, especially in relationships, is it gives you this hypersensitive insecurity. Somebody sneezes wrong and you're thinking, oh my goodness, they're after me. They're going to get me now. So that's a little glimpse on being on the other end of this where you're the person who's the disappointer. Let's go back to our, our message here. And back to the message, verse 18, latter part of verse 17 says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Verse 18, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, 
Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But no worries. God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. When disappointment results in God's will. And in here we have an opportunity to see how God's will was accomplished in two ways. First of all, God's will, utilizing disappointment, is accomplished to change character. To change character. Go with me in your mind back to the beginning. You remember when Joseph brought a bad report of his brothers to his dad? Here we have the youthful tattler, the accuser of the brethren. It's kind of more like the enemy. Just for no apparent reason, it's not recorded in the scripture. He kind of tells on his brothers. And remember back again when Jacob or Joseph was in his youth, how Jacob, his father, gave him a tunic of many colors? Now what this was, more than likely, was a white robe that had beautiful, multiple colored embroidery around the wrists and around the ankles. Very decorative. And this type of tunic, a robe of many colors, would have more than likely been for one who didn't work, but rather one who was the foreman or the overseer of the workers. So just imagine his brothers who themselves were in white robes, the robes of a worker, looking at their youngest brother parading around, perhaps wearing confidently this beautiful robe of a foreman, of an overseer. Perhaps this was Jacob's way of foreshadowing who he was planning to give his blessing to. And one last thing, remember back to how Jacob all too readily and all too insensitively shared the details of his dreams with his brothers and his parents. You would say that Joseph's conduct at this time was a bit rough around the edges. You might describe him as being wet under the ears. You would say that in his youthfulness, he lacked some humility. He lacked wisdom. He lacked something very important to relationships, and that's sensitivity. And i got to tell you, I know exactly what this is like. I remember first becoming a believer and getting so excited about God's truth that I nearly drove my mom and dad bonkers. Because I'd find out a spiritual truth and I'd take it home and I'd start clubbing people over the head with it. Hey, do this, do that, change this, change that. My parents are here tonight, so I hope they're not going to jump up and shout hallelujah. But I do realize that, and I apologize. (laughs) But not having sensitivity can really ruin relationships. Now, pride and insensitivity, they produce jealousy and hatred in other people. And as God looked upon this man who he was going to use mightily, incredibly far beyond any expectations that even the dreams revealed to him, I can't help but think that God, before he would use this man for his purposes, had to drain the poison out of him. The poison of pride, insensitivity, lacking wisdom. So what happened? What was God's response to all that? Well, Joseph had all of his experiences. What was the result? The result was that Joseph became humble 
and sensitive. We just read in the passage that as Joseph looked upon his brothers, he wept. That was something that a ruler, especially of Egypt, didn't do before others. He wept. Reminds me of Jesus as he considered the death of his friend Lazarus and the response of his family and friends to his death, how Jesus looked upon them and wept. He wept. We also read in the last part of that passage that he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now he was a sensitive man. And it brings home some important points. And those points are these. You've got to learn how to lose before you can handle winning. It also brings home another point to me, and that's that God's most honorable man walk with a limp. A limp of humility. Another consideration is that you can only handle power and position when you can live without them. To look at it another way, to look at Joseph's life and his experiences from a different angle, those types of disappointing, humbling experiences teach you what I call the value of a dollar. You ever known someone that's just given so many things? They never have to work for it. It's just handed to them. Boy, they don't take care of it that well, do they? It just doesn't mean much to them. They don't know the value of the dollars that it took to generate enough dollars to get them what was given to them. But you find somebody who's had to work hard to accomplish what they've accomplished, and I'll tell you what, they know the value of a dollar. And all those were lessons that Joseph had to learn before God could use him powerfully. Now, let me tell you something. I've been a believer in the Lord now for 13 years. Some of you longer than that. Some of you not as long than that, as that. I've got to tell you, there's not been a month or a day I've not been passionate about the Lord. There's not been a moment where I've not sat in those chairs that you're sitting in and I hear a sermon that's inspiring and I just want to get up and go do it. But it comes with a price. And that price is that as we avail ourselves to the Lord, saying, God, I want to be used by you greatly. Prepare yourself. You're going to have the disappointments. You're going to have plenty of disappointments with even God's people. You know, one thing I love about Joseph is that he never is recorded here as just letting it get to him. Urban Lutzer said, Have you ever thought that our disappointments are God's way of reminding us that there are idols in our lives that must be dealt with? God uses disappointment to shape our character. He also uses disappointment to shape or to change circumstance. Go back with me to verse 19 of chapter 50. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. He says something that to me is just something I want to say when I get to defining moments in my own life. For I am in the place of God. This man had a belief, a conviction, that everything that happened led him right into the place of God. So it affected God's will for Joseph's life. He also goes on to say, you know, as for you, you meant it evil against me, God meant it for good. 
in order to bring it about exactly as it is this day to save many people alive. Many people alive. So the result was God saved many people alive through this man who was trusting him through every disappointment and he himself had the privilege of knowing and not having to doubt whether or not he was right smack dab where God wanted him to be. Let me give you some application now. Because I'll tell you something. If I can't give you something to take home and apply, we've all wasted our time tonight. So as I give you these things to apply, I'm going to plead with you that you really take them to heart. The first of which is, let me say something before I even give you the first one. You know, one of the things that excites me a ton about Wednesday night service is there's a lot of youths, high schoolers. And I got saved when I was 19 years old. And I often think back, God, Lord, I wish I would have been saved in high school. And one of the reasons for that is because I wanted to have the experience of knowing then what I know now. And so as I give you these these three things to consider, I want to speak to you uniquely and say, hey, if you can grab onto these truths now, you're going to be light years ahead of me when you're my age. And the first of which is this. Trust in God's loving sovereignty over your life. You've got to trust it. No matter what disappointments exist, divorce of parents, your own divorce, the complete rejection of you by a loved one. You know, again, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things, even disappointments, work together for good in the end. God somehow, as the master chemist, blends it all just right. The second thing is this. Do not jump ship when you're bombarded with disappointments, but stay the course and see God work. You know, Joseph never jumped ship. He never just told God, you know what, God, I quit. Even when it came down to being disappointed with his family members, Joseph was not a fair-weather friend, nor was he a fair-weather family member. He didn't take his ball and go home and say, I don't want to have anything to do with you again. But when God had brought those people back into his life, he godly and mercifully welcomed them and viewed even that as God's will. You know, there's just such a higher level of living and there's such a a more high level of honoring God, when you can say, hey, I serve the God of heaven and earth. He has everything under control. There's no reason for me to fret. And being that I, too, am a sinner forgiven by grace, who am I to think that I have the ability to justify why I would maintain division from a brother? More specifically, in light of these disappointments, don't jump ship. Don't be a fair-weather servant or friend of God. Bill Gothard said, Disappointment is God's way of dimming the glamour of the world and deepening our ability to enjoy Him. And I would take that even further to say it deepens our ability to not only enjoy Him but trust Him, and not only enjoy Him and trust Him but enjoy His people and trust His people. And thirdly, I would ask that you retrain yourself to rejoice when you're disappointed because you consider yourself blessed for this next reason that I'm going to read to you. Peter states we should feel blessed. 
Again, retrain yourself to rejoice when you're disappointed because you consider yourself blessed for the reason that Peter here says you should feel blessed. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you so it sinks into your heart. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15, Peter writes, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? It's a rhetorical question. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Joseph knew that. We can know that. Again, think back to Joseph's words to his brethren. You meant evil against me. It's all right. It's water off a duck's back. Because I trust God. God meant it for good. So in conclusion, God's people, us, reach a significant level of maturity when we actually begin to not see disappointments as disappointments. You don't see them as disappointments anymore, but you see them as the sovereign hand of a loving God permitting letdowns into our life in order to accomplish His greater purposes. Are we there yet? Or are we devising plans on how to get even? How to seek retribution or restitution? Are we putting conditions upon our fellowship and our relationships with one another? So let me leave you with these these two questions. What are your disappointments tonight? What are your disappointments? And let me make it even more specific. Who are your disappointments? Who? So as that person perhaps popped into your mind, I want to follow that up by asking you to consider them as divine appointments with disappointment appreciating them for the fact that God is using them in your life to put you exactly where He wants you to be and He's using them to perfectly effect your will or His will for your life just like Joseph. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.